All right, and I want you to turn to two passages tonight, if you will, Matthew 16 and Luke 18. They are kind of parallel passages. Uh, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all complement each other. They all have the same story, but obviously Mac, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all four different people, so they're going to have a different perspective on what they saw, right? Uh, you can, we could all see an, an event happen, and, and four of us, We'd have the same, you know, well, I saw this car do that, and I saw this happen, and I saw that fly over there, and I saw this, but, uh, you know, based on your background, based on your experience, based on, you know, what, you're, what you observe and what you're looking for and everything else, you're going to have a different perspective. Same event, you're describing and talking about the same thing, but that's exactly what the Gospels do. It's called the harmony of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have different versions of that story based on their experience, based on what they saw, based on the theme of their book, which is, you know, either Christ as king or Christ as servant or Christ as the son of man or Christ as God. Um, you know, they all have different themes in their book, and so they all have different things. But there is a harmony in all the Gospels. And so what happens a lot of times is you see some of these passages overlapping each other, and sometimes they say almost the exact same thing, you know. Um, <clears throat> You know, uh, maybe sometimes in some of these passages, Matthew will say, and Jesus said, and then quote Jesus, and then Luke will say, and Jesus said, talking about the same thing, and quote him, sometimes verbatim, sometimes a little bit differently. But it's the same thing, you know? If, if you were to walk away from here, it's not, oh, well, they're not saying, Jesus, what did he say then? What did Jesus really say if they're saying two different things, you know? They're saying the same idea, but if you were to walk away from here and I said, what did the pastor say tonight? Well, you're going to remember you know, certain aspects of it. Somebody else is going to have heard the same message and remember certain aspects of it. And so uh, there's still a harmony in them just because they don't say the exact same thing. Uh, I say all that to say that <clears throat> the two passages that we're going to look at tonight, just briefly, um, are passages that show the harmony of the scriptures. They are said just a little bit differently, but basically the same thing. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse number 28. Then said Peter, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Now, what this is talking about is basically giving up everything to follow Jesus Christ. And um, I'm, I'm just using this kind of as a principle, as a springboard tonight, but basically Jesus says, kids that give up things, or not even kids, there's no man, verily I say to you, there's no man that hath left house or parents or, or any of these other things uh, and given them up for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Look, we have missionaries that do that all the time, right? They leave home, they leave family, they go to foreign mission fields and they serve. And, and it's not just missionaries, there's a lot of other things as well. But God says, you're going to be repaid for that lack of selfishness. You're putting yourself aside to be able to go and do these things. And so I think that's what we're trying to raise is unselfish kids, and no one wants to raise selfish children. Nobody sets out to raise selfish children. 
Um, every, every father or mother wants to see their children grow in character. They want to see them relate well to others. They want to see them be unselfish. Um, but teaching our children to be unselfish is a, is a very important lesson um, in accomplishing these goals. But it's also one that a lot of parents struggle with how to teach. How do you teach your kids to not be selfish? You know, we all want them to not be selfish, but how do you teach that? So what exactly does it mean to be unselfish and sensitive? And part of that is learning to feel for others. Empathy is what they call it, right? Sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is feeling bad for somebody's situation. You know, you see somebody getting an accident on the highway and, oh, man, I feel bad for that person. Empathy is being able to put yourself in that person's shoes and being able to, you know, help them get out of that situation if, if need be because you feel what they're feeling. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, part of... That's, that's what empathy is all about, sensitivity to needs in people and situations. So how do you develop these ideas in your children? What are some of the best ways to teach your children to be unselfish in a world that's filled with selfish people and getting more and more every day? Uh, so tonight, I want to look at some ways that we can accomplish that goal. And the first one is this, heap praise, heap praise. Talked about this before, but this is a very important principle. And, and by the way, these principles don't just work in your family. They work in your business, especially if you have people under you. Um, they work in life. Uh, they work anywhere. These are not just principles that, I mean, because look, we should all be unselfish people. We're trying to raise unselfish kids, and that's what our focus is tonight. But we should all be unselfish people. And unselfish people um, are going to be very influential people because they are going to have people that want to follow them. They're going to have people that look up to them. They're going to have people that respect them. And one of the ways that you can do that with your children or, or anywhere for that matter is to heap praise. If you notice that your child is doing something unselfish, heap praise on them to reward them. You know, you don't have to say, oh, that was very nice of you. Here, here's $5. But you ought to at least recognize that they're doing something that's unselfish. Um, let them know that what they're doing is a good thing. And I, and I think that's so critical to any area of training our children, but it works very well here. You want them to be unselfish? Then praise them when they're unselfish. Um, you think about, uh, all of you have been to games, you've probably played in games before, but umpires and referees, they're, they're often uh, vilified in any sport. Everybody hates the refs, everybody hates the umps, right? And everybody wants to blame them. Uh, for everything that, that happens. But the best umps and refs are a lot like the best offensive linemen in a football game. You don't even notice that they're there, right? The best referees don't have a name for themselves. The best referees are not noticed because that means they're doing a great job because nobody is mad at them. Nobody is hollering at them for calling a bad game. No side is mad. You know, who is that guy out there in the stripes, you know? You should hardly notice them, but when they do make a mistake, they're noticed, they're hated, Right? I mean, how many times have you found out who that ref is because they blew the big call in the game, right? Um, it, it happens a lot of times. And about the only time most pe people notice that the ref is even there is when they blow a call. About the only time that people even realize that they're offensive linemen on the field is when they make a, you know, they, they get a false start or something like that and the team is trying to get a fourth down and now they've got to move back five yards. And, you know, nobody wants to praise those guys when they're doing a good job, but they want to they wanna criticize them every time that they make a mistake, which for the most part doesn't happen to be very often. Uh, you know, but what does that have to do with parenting? I think that has everything to do with it. 
um, is the only time that your child gets real attention from you when you're hollering at them for something that they've done that was wrong. Uh, I think a lot of times that's what happens. And honestly, uh, some of the kids that are really bad are really bad because negative attention is still attention, you know, and they're not getting attention at home. They may not be getting attention from their teachers at school. Uh, and so the only attention they can get is to be bad because they know that somebody's going to pay attention to them and they'd rather have attention. Even if it's negative attention, it's still attention. Um, uh, you know, and, and I think sadly what happens a lot of times is when our kids do well, we hardly notice them, you know, um, well, you, you should be doing that. That's what, and yes, we should be expecting those things out of them. They shouldn't get paid for being good. That's what they should be doing is being good. But so many times we're ready to jump down their throats when they're not being good. Um, but then they do what they're supposed to do and, and not a word is said. So, uh, you know, we need to keep a mental checklist, I think, of, of, of our compliment to criticism ratio with our children. You know, yeah, they need to be criticized. When they're doing something wrong, they need to know that, that you're not happy with it. They need to know that, you're, you know that you don't approve of that. But they also need to know when you do approve. If you're being overwhelmingly negative and not encouraging enough, then you're a bad influence. Um, the, and the opposite could also be true. So we have to be careful. You know, you could, you could overdo this praise thing. And that's, that's honestly what's happening today with our children. And, and you see what's happening uh, in our world. You know, everybody's a winner. The score is, you know, tied at the end of the game so that nobody has to feel bad for losing. That's heaping praise without giving any kind of consequences. There has to be consequences for, for bad behavior. Um, but our kids need to be corrected for sure. Many times, especially when they're young, they're going to be more correction than praise. But there has to be that proper ratio. We have to praise them when they do well. Um, I, I've used this illustration before, I know. Um, but that's, that's what we're more than willing to do with a dog, right? My dad did invisible fence um, for 25 years, however many years it was. It was close to that. And I would go out with him a lot, and he, he would train a dog to stay within the boundary. And the way that you train the dog to stay in the boundary was to put the flags around the yard first. And he got used to seeing those flags and knew that that's where the boundary were, was. But then you would take every other flag out, and then eventually there were no flags, and he was trained um, on the, to hear the beep in that collar. But the initial training has everything to do with praising that dog when he does what you want him to do. He gets up to that line, he hears the beep, you pull him back so he knows what to do, and then you praise him. Oh, you're such a good boy. Oh, you're such a good boy, you know? And, and how often do we do that in anything that we're doing with, with our dogs, right? You train, you train your dog, and yeah, you're going to get on him every now and then and slap him, you know, on the nose with a newspaper or whatever and say no, you know, you don't want him to do that. But, well, you know, we just heap praise on our animals. And yet, when it comes to children, a lot of times, we don't do that. You know, slapping them on the nose all the time with a newspaper and never praising them for anything that they're doing that's right, you know. Um, so we have to, you know, we have to have some specific compliments that we can give our kids. And let me give you a couple of those. Number one, recognizing compliment character. We live in a world where integrity is, is not consistently taught. Um, it's not widely expected. Um, it's sad, but it's, it's just kind of become accepted today that somebody's going to lie to you, you know? Uh, character is not king, uh, you know, when our, and so when our children demonstrate honesty, when they demonstrate kindness, when they demonstrate trustworthiness and reliability, that's a great time to take them aside 
and just give them a sincere compliment. Um, I, I grew up in a place that, that uh, I'm very thankful, took a stand for the truth, but it was a place where, where character and good behavior were never really complimented, you know? Uh, they got on you when you, did, when you did what you were not supposed to do, and they should have. They should have. Uh, but very rarely was, um, you know, was good behavior um, complimented. Uh, so what happened with a lot of the kids that grew up there, I think, is that they were scared to death to do wrong because they were afraid that they were going to get in trouble. But that's the only reason why they were doing what was right. They weren't doing it because they, were, they wanted to do what was right. They were only doing it because they were afraid of the consequences of, of, of you know, doing wrong. And they, they're not, you know, they're not walking down the right path because they're excited for the praise that they might earn for doing right. They were only walking down the right path because they were scared to death that they were going to get in trouble for doing wrong. And, you know, that's, that is not, God does not deal with us that way, you know. Uh, God, God is looking for ways to bless us. He says, if you turn and you go down the wrong way, I have to punish you. I don't want to. My goal is not to punish you, and every once in a while, I'll throw you a bone so you keep serving me. That's not, that's not God's way of doing things, right? God's way of doing things is, please just do what's right so I can bless you. I want to bless you. But man, look at, you turned on the wrong way. Now I've got to punish you for that, you know? It breaks God's heart when he has to do that. And, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's the way that we ought to, you know, that's the way that we ought to. Uh, do the same thing with our kids. I mean, look, look, at, look what you do at work. You know, do you, do you work hard just so you don't get written up and, and you know, demoted and, you know, a, a pay decrease and all of that kind of stuff? Most people work hard because they're trying to get promoted. They want to get noticed for their hard work. They want to get that job promotion. They want to get the increased paycheck. They want to, you know, they want to please their bosses and have their bosses recognize them for doing a good job. And why is that? Because a good boss is going to praise a good job right? And you want to do, you know, the best bosses that you have are not the ones that are constantly jumping down your throat. Now, they might run a tight ship, and they might have everything exactly the way that they want it, but people are not happy working there. They're only doing it because they don't want to get written up. They don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to get fired or whatever else. The best working environments are when the boss praises the people for doing a good job. And the people look forward to coming to work. They look forward to working for that boss. They look forward to any job that that boss gives them. Because they know, number one, that that boss would, more than willing, you know, would be more than willing to do that job themselves. But number two, they know that if they do a good job, they're going to get praised for doing it. Right? Pastor Brothers was that way. I worked for him for 10 years as an assistant pastor, and that's how he was. Um, you know, I, I knew that he would do it, so I'd do anything for him. And I knew that he was, you know, I, I mean, very rarely did he ever get on me for doing something wrong. I mean, I, I tried not to do too many things wrong. I'm sure I did at times. And, and when, when he did have to sit down and say, hey, we need to change this, uh, we can't keep doing this that way, he was very gracious about it. Um, but, I mean, over and over and over, I felt bad sometimes because I'm like, I didn't even really do anything. And here he is praising me for, you know, how great this job was on things. But I would do anything for him. Because of the way that he heaped praise for doing a good job. And that's the same thing that we need to do for our children. Yes, you have to get on them. Um, but turn over to Matthew 25. Uh, what do you think motivates Christians to live a godly life? I said that that's the way that God treats us. He's looking for ways to heap praise on us. But what is, 
You, you might recognize Matthew 25 and, and know where I'm going with this, but what is one of the things that everybody says they want to hear at the end of their life? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? We're not living our life for God. He says that in Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Right? Our motivation as Christians ought not to be, well, I just, I don't, I don't want God to, you know, you know, put his fist down on me and make life difficult for me, so I'm, I guess I'm just going to serve him. No, our motivation is, I want to get to heaven and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What is that? That's God heaping praise on his children for doing what they're supposed to do. Right? Why do you think God offers crowns to those that live for him? We're not going to take the time to go through all of the crowns tonight and, and, and look at the verses, but we have the crown of rejoicing. We talked about that. That's the soul winner's crown, right? You go out and do what God tells you to do and win souls, he's going to bless you for it. Crown of righteousness, that's a crown that we get just for living for God. That's a positive thing, right? You live for God, he's going to heap that praise on you. He's going to give you that crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. That's the shepherd's crown. That's a crown that that pastors only, really, pastors, shepherds can get. Uh, but the crown of life, that's the martyr's crown. You live for God, you give your life for God, and he's going to heap that praise on you. The incorruptible crown, that's, that's the victor's crown. That's the crown that goes to the one that goes above and beyond for Jesus Christ. So all of these rewards, you know, uh, there's, you know, and, and the Bible does talk about the fact that we're going to stand before God someday, and, and if we haven't done things worthy of a reward, we're not going to get a reward. But God doesn't, you know, well, well now you've got to go to purgatory and get your sins burned off for a while because you didn't do very good. No, I mean, he, there's nothing negative in the Bible about, I mean, yeah, we're going to be ashamed that we didn't do more for him. We're going to be ashamed of the things that we did, but it's not because he's shaming us necessarily. He's giving us the rewards for things that we do that are good. And, and obviously, I mean, we take the whole scope of the Bible and we see that, you know, in, in a lot of places, God has to judge us. God has, the, the Bible does say, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, right? Every, you know, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So, yes, God does punish us. But the Bible is filled with ways that God heaps praise on us when we do the things that he tells us to do. So recognize and compliment character. Here's another one, compliment, obedience, and respect. This first point is, is, is by far the one that's going to take the most time, and uh, we'll go through quickly through the rest, but I think these are important. When we're talking about heaping praise, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying that we have to just, everything has to be flowery, and oh, well, I'm going to overlook that because you did such a good job being a good boy. You know, I'm not saying that, but we ought to be looking for ways to compliment these things. So compliment and recognize character, but also compliment obedience and respect. It's easy to fall into a pattern of disapproval where the only thing we ever notice is when they disobey or when they disrespect. Um, you know, uh, rather than waiting for disobedience or, or, or disrespect and then coming down like a ton of bricks, try noticing obedience and try noticing respect. Um, you know, I don't always remember to tell you, but you're a great young man, and I appreciate, you, I appreciate the way that you treat your mother. That is recognizing respect, you know? Um, again, we, we do need to disapprove strongly of disobedience and disrespect, but if all we're doing is waiting for our kids to disobey or disrespect, then they have no motivation to be obedient and respectful. Um, you know how kids are, but adults are the same way in a workplace, you know? If they know that they're going to get praised for doing something, 
they're going to do it, right? Well, I don't care. I mean, I don't care if they... Re yes, you do. We all do. We all want people to respect, or I mean, to recognize us when we do the things that we are supposed to do, right? Uh, they give away awards. They give away rewards. Everybody wants to be one of the ones that gets that, right? Employee of the month. You get your parking spot and things like that. I mean, it's a silly thing, but people will do a lot of things to be the employee of the month so that they can have that parking spot, right? It's because they want to get recognized for the things that they're doing that are right, and kids are the same way. Appreciate them simply for being a part of the family. So recognizing compliment character, compliment obedience and respect, appreciate them simply for being part of the family. You know, every time I see you, I'm thankful that I'm a dad. Um... Kids need to understand that they're, they're valued simply because they are. Um, I think many times, you know, you hear about these stories of these kids that grow up in an orphanage, and I, and I feel so bad for kids that have to grow up in a situation like that, but, you know, most of these kids that grow up in an orphanage grow up with, with zero self-respect because they've never been respected at all, and they feel less than human because they're not part of a family and all of that stuff. But did God give you that child or not? Is that a gift from God or not? It is a gift from God, and God did give us those children. He put those children specifically in our family for a reason. And so we ought, to, we ought to recognize the fact that God put them there. Most kids go through life thinking that they're loved, hoping that they're loved, but never really hearing that they are, and they need to hear that. Appreciate them for being part of the family. The fourth thing, then, is, is to complement contributions to the family. Um, we have chore lists. Uh, they have things that they're supposed to do in the morning before they, before they go to school. They have things that they have to do when they get home from school, and, and they know what those jobs are, you know, cleaning the floor and, and clearing the table and putting, you know, taking out the trash and things like that. But, you know, it, it makes a difference. It would be difficult if we had to do everything that they do, you know. Um, and, and, you know, it's not just because, well, I don't want to do it, so I'll make them do it, you know. It's not that. It's, it's that they need to learn responsibility. But in the process of learning responsibility, they are also being a help. And so we ought to recognize those things when they help. Um, one of the ways that we recognize that is that they get points for doing their jobs. And if they do their jobs right, they get points for that. And then they can use those points to, to earn different things. And, you know, uh, sitting down and watching something is, is not a right. It's a privilege. You know, and it's only a privilege that is, that is taken advantage of after everything that you're supposed to do is done. Uh, and that's, you know, that is telling them, thank you for doing that. It is. But what motivation does a kid have to just go out and take the trash out if nobody ever notices it, you know? But, but that's what we do a lot of times. Why is the trash full again, you know? But then you go to throw something in the trash and it's, it's almost empty and you don't say anything about it, you know? Why is the trash empty again? Man, you're doing such a great job, you know? We don't do that, though, but that's what I'm saying is we need to, we need to look for those things. Um, you know, if, you, if, if you're still looking for, um, uh, you know, when, when you don't recognize them for what they're doing, why would they want to do it? That's, that's my point with, with all of this. So compliment contributions to the family. Here's another one. Compliment the quality of a kid's work. And, um, you know, that's one clean bedroom, you know. Uh, wow, you did a, a great job. It, it might not be what I would consider to be a great job if an adult had done it, but considering the level of who is doing it, they did a great job on it, you know? And so, you know, you mowed the lawn right up to the edge. Way to go. I'm glad you take that job seriously. It shows. I mean, way, look for ways to be encouraging in 
complimenting what they're doing. Doing a job at a high standard is always worth noticing. And, and, and again, it works in a family, but it also works in a job situation or anything else. You get what you praise, basically. If you don't praise character, you're not going to get it. If you don't praise a good job, you're not going to get it. Because if they can get the same level of respect, whether they do a good job or not, what motivation do they have to do a good job? You see what I'm saying? And, and that's why it works, in, it works that way in a business, and it works that way in a family. If, if, if somebody's working for you, and you tell them to go mow the lawn, and they just did a sloppy job, and you don't really say anything about it, or you might say, man, you could have done that better, or they go out, and they do a, a, a great job, and you look at it, and you don't say anything about it. What motivation do they have to go out and do a great job and take extra time to do it? You know, other than their own personal character and whatever else, and they might want to do it just for the sake of, you know, they have their personal respect. But what we're talking about here is we're teaching kids to be unselfish. And the way that you teach them that is by praising them for doing a good job. And so it gives them that motivation to do it just as well or better the next time, gives them that motivation to, uh, to do any job that they're given to, to the best of their ability. If they get praised for cleaning their room well, Guess what they're going to do the next time they're told to go clean their room? Well, I got praised for doing a good job last time. I want to, I want, I want to get that praise again. So uh, to an adult, the job might not be perfect, but, but they won't, you know, uh, you have to remember that they're still kids, that they usually won't do it as well as you could have done it, but compliment, compliment them based on the abilities that they can handle. Um, you know, if, if Jackson and Riley's beds are both made the same way, I may compliment Riley and get on Jackson. You know, he knows how to make a bed, or at least he should by now. Actually, he doesn't. All he does is sleep on top of his cover, so he didn't have to make his bed the next day, right? <laughs> yeah, we all tried that growing up. And, uh, but, but the thing is, if Riley makes her bed and Jackson makes his bed the exact same way, he might know how to do it better. Or she might not. So she might get a compliment. He might, hey, you, you know how to make this thing. It should be smooth, you know, whatever else. Um, so... Expect perfection, but don't criticize them if that is not their perfect. Uh, their perfect is going to be different than what our perfect is. So, and, and here's the other thing, too. They love to hear you brag about what they did to your spouse. And I try to do this. Um, man, did you see how clean their room is? You know, they, I've not asked them, but I know that they love to hear you talk about how good of a job they did to your husband or to your wife, you know, um, especially when you begin to speak and they know what's coming because they know what they did, you know, the chest starts to go out a little bit and they're waiting to hear it because they know that, you know, they know that they're about to get complimented, that big smile they get on their faces and they look at their mom to see her reaction, you know, uh, because that's how you get a job well done is by praising a job well done. Um, and by the way, her reaction is just as important as the fact that you told them, you know. If I say, you should see that room. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. You think that's going to give them, oh, well, so much for that. I thought I did a good job anyway, you know. So um, your team, work together on those things. And then uh, here's another one. We can compliment the effort even when the result is not the best. Um, uh, your willingness to help makes me happy. I'm glad that you're willing to help me. Now, we need to take a look at how you can get to the, the, you know, the trash to the curb without leaving a big trail. Um, but your willingness, is, uh, it goes a long way. Uh, compliments can be an important part of our role as teachers, and so don't take lightly the fact that they're willing to help. Um, I'm, I'm glad you were willing to help, but let me show you how I want you to do that. You know, 
they might go out and, and take the initiative to sweep the garage or something like that and, and did not do a very good job. But you come out there and you see that they tried. And I'm, I'm glad that you were willing to do that. I'm glad you took the initiative to do that. Here's how I want you to do it uh, the next time. It's important that we compliment children when they achieve something new, you know. That's a huge leap forward from where you were. That's great. Good job, you know. Um, that's great that you did so well in your basketball game. I'm not surprised that, you know, you worked so hard at it. Um, but a well-placed compliment can keep a positive ball rolling. Here's another way. Compliment steps toward a long-term goal. Um, you know, the, the improvement that you're showing in that area is commendable. Keep trying, you know. Um, uh, I, I guess uh, basketball is kind of a, a good example of that, you know. Alex is, is first time in basketball this year. First game, I don't even know if he touched the ball at all. Uh, but then he got the ball the next game, and then he made a pass, and then he's shooting it. And, hey, you know, I mean, obviously, he's playing with bigger kids, and maybe he should have done this better or that better or this different or that different, but he's getting better. So compliment that as they get better at those, at those different things, you know. Waiting for perfection before we're willing to dish out a compliment is, is inefficient. Uh, it's ineffective. It's going to dampen their enthusiasm, and it does very little to help the process of growth. Um, and I'm not just saying in sports. I'm saying in every, in every area. Here's the last one that we can try when it comes to um, heaping praise, giving them compliments, and that's try complimenting their friends. And I'm not saying, oh, your friend is really good at, I'm saying compliment who their friends are. Um, you know, certainly we're going to get on them if they're hanging around somebody that's not good for them. Uh, so compliment them when they do pick friends who are better than they are at things. Or, um, you know, but only do that if you can do it honestly. You know, your friends, your friends are the greatest. Boy, that, that young man, is he's such a fine Christian young man. I'm glad you picked him to hang around, you know. Compliment those things. So parents... So often, parents only want to criticize the bad friends, and again, they should, but then they never want to compliment the good ones. And it, and it just, I mean, that's, that, this is the point that I'm trying to make here with this first point, is that we're so quick to criticize everything, and so slow to compliment everything, and it shouldn't be that way. If we're going to be quick to criticize, then we should be quick to compliment. If we're going to be, you know, slow to compliment, then we should be slow to criticize at the same time, and that's not usually helpful either. We need to have that fine balance. We need, to, we need to have that balance of criticism, yes, but we need to also have on the other side of that um, uh, compliments at the same time. All right, here's number two. How can we raise unselfish kids? Number one is to heap praise, but number two is to give responsibility. A Harvard study was done, and of course they do research at these universities all the time, but they showed a correlation between the amount of responsibility children have and their tendency to think of other people. In other words, the more responsibility a kid had, the more he thought about others. And I don't know exactly how they did the study, but a child with no sense of responsibility is, uh, they become spoiled, uh, they begin to lose their sense of caring and concern. Um, one of the main reasons when we were growing up, we had animals, was for the responsibility that it gave us as kids. And, and my parents had said this later on, you know, we didn't know that growing up, but they didn't care about having animals, you know? I mean, we got eggs from the chickens, and we had like 50 chickens at a time. Usually we had, we had sheep, we had goats, we, had, uh, we almost always had one pig. Uh, we had a couple, a couple mini horses and a regular horse. You know, 
we didn't hardly do anything with it. We had a horse for how many years? Ten years we had this horse, and we never rode it. Not one time. And, you know, a lot of the time, we try to get on it bareback and stuff like that. And it was fine. It lets you get on it. But my parents always used the excuse that a saddle was too expensive, you know. And I always thought, we have this horse. Why don't we ride this thing, you know? But every day, we had to get out there. And, I mean, there was like five links. No, probably more than that. Six or seven of these huge, you know, fence links. We had a big pen out in the middle of our field. And we had to pick this thing up and move it to a different spot so that the horse could eat, you know, the grass and everything else. And looking back on it, I'm convinced that that's the only reason that we had animals at all, is that my parents just wanted us to have some responsibilities that we had to do, you know? We didn't do anything with the goats. We did nothing with the sheep. We got eggs from the chickens, and that was about it. And we killed the pig when it was, I was was about to say ripe, but I don't know if that's the right (laughs) word, but uh, we killed the pig when it was ready to eat, and we, you know, we butchered it for food and stuff like that, but, you know, all of that was so that we'd have some responsibility, and, and, and I'm, that's, it taught us a lot of responsibility. It taught us, uh, um, you know, how to take care of things and, and how to be responsible for those things. And uh, I tell you, how, uh, and not only that, but, but we, had, uh, we had a wood stove, and I cannot tell you how many times we got woken up in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, my dad would be going down to the wood stove to put wood in the stove, and there was no wood in the house. He could have very easily just gone out and got a couple pieces of wood and brought it in the house. But he was teaching us responsibility. At least that's what he said it was. Wake up. There's no wood in the house. You get out there and get some wood. And then we'd go outside, and there would be no wood in the pile right next to the house. So then you had to go all the way to the main pile, you know. And here you are, 2 o'clock in the morning. You just got woke up out of a dead sleep, and it's, you know, a blizzard outside, and you're hiking down there to get wood. But you know what it taught us? Make sure there's wood in the house before you go to bed. You know, and we always, you know, we always tried to make sure that it happened, but find things for your kids to do, even if you don't have lots of animals or property or anything like that. Um, they need to learn responsibility because in learning responsibility, they're going to learn um, to think of others uh, and, and to, that responsibility gives them that sense of, I'm not just a spoiled brat, basically. Here's the third thing. And I, I include this in almost every single thing that we talk about, but teach by example. Teach by example. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's how Christ teaches us. Um, he gave us all the commands, gave us everything that we need to know in the Bible, right? But what does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. We show children this attitude of empathy by our own actions. We model the same behavior, the same values that we want to instill in them. So if we don't want them to be selfish, we better not be. If we want them, if we want them to have responsibility, then we better show responsibility. If we want them to be encouraging, then we have to do that. If you want your children to listen to you, then you, then you have to listen to them too. Um, and, and I don't mean, you know, Dad, go take out the trash. Yes, sir, I'm going to take out the trash. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But, you know, if, if as we get older, uh, as our kids get older, um, you know, we want them to listen to us. We want them to follow our advice. And a lot of that comes by us listening to them, taking the time when they're young to hear them out. You know, they have lots of goofy stories, you know, 
They have a lot of things that they think are hilarious that don't even strike me as funny. But I'm going to listen to them, right? I want to hear their stories. I want to hear them talk. Because if I listen to them now, then they'll listen to me later and now. But they, they don't have a choice. They have to listen to my goofy stories too. But, you know, when they're telling you about their day, listen. One of these days, you're not going to be able to sit there and listen to them telling you about their day anyway. They're going to be gone. But when they're telling you about a concern that they have, listen. You know, and, and a good habit. Uh, one of the, there's, there's a lot of different principles of listening. And, and, oh, where do you need principles of listening? Well, one of the things that we talk about often on the peer support team is listening. Many times, people don't need advice. They just need somebody to listen to them. And we do not usually participate in active listening. Uh, we participate in passive listening, meaning I hear what you're saying, but I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next, and so I'm only half hearing what you're saying. Uh, one, a good habit to get into is to listen so that you could repeat back what they said to you. And that's, that's, a, that's one of the principles that we, um, well, that we learn, that we teach with this peer support, you know? So what I'm hearing you say is, because you, number one, you are trying to make sure you understand exactly what they're going through. You're trying to make sure you understand so that way when you do give an answer, you're giving them an answer that's, you know, that, that makes sense with what they're talking about. So what I'm hearing you saying is, you know, and, and you, don't have to, you don't have to do all of those things with your kids, but, you know, uh, you ought to be able to ask them a question about what they just told you. You ought to be able to answer that question. Dad, remember when I told you? No, what was that? Well, I just told you three minutes ago, you know. Uh, active listening. Be able, to, be able to listen so that you could repeat back what they just said to you. Turn the radio down if they want to talk, you know. Turn the TV off if they have something that they want to share with you. The way that you listen to them now is probably going to be the way that they listen to you when they're older and out of the house. Um, and that's what I'm saying. When they're older and out of the house, you're not going to, you know, demand go take out the trash. I mean, they should have the respect and go do it if you ask them to. But all you have when they're older is influence. And if you don't listen to them now and you don't care what they have to say now, they're going to do the same thing because you're teaching them by example. And they're not going to care what you have to say later on. And you could probably point to examples of, of people who have children who are just like that. Their kids do not care about them. You know, they'll, they'll visit them at Christmas and whatever else. But, um, you know, of course, your kids have to listen to you now because they're under the pressure of punishment if they don't. But uh, when they get older, they don't have to listen. And all you have is the influence. And so the more we listen to them now, the more we pay attention to what they have to say now, the more they'll, that respect will be there. And that's most likely going to determine how they listen to you when they're older. So teach by example. Number four, say I'm sorry. Turn over to Proverbs 16. If you made a mistake, and, and this is something that we struggle with, I've, I, try, I try to do this more, um, but if you made a mistake or you were insensitive to your child, uh, let your child know that you're sorry for it. Um, does it take a lot of humility, that's the word we looked at tonight, to go say I'm sorry to your child? Yes, but you can wrong your child just as much as you can wrong another person, right? You can be wrong in the way that you handle the situation, I can't even remember, but something happened just um, a, a few few days ago, maybe last week, and I think I think I got onto Alex for something, um, and I found out later 
that he didn't want to say anything about it because he was afraid to say something about it, but the situation that I got on him for was not the situation that I thought it was. And so when I found out what actually happened, I told him, hey, I, you know, I didn't know that. I'm sorry for, you know, for getting on you about that. I shouldn't have gotten on you because that's not, you know, that's not what happened. Um, but, you know, sometimes we, we overreact and we shouldn't have, or, you know, even if it was warranted, sometimes we still overreact. We ought to be willing to say, I'm sorry. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, when your kids are young, close your ears, they think you're perfect, right? The older they get, the more they realize that you're not. And I can, I can kind of remember the first time that I realized that my parents were not perfect. Um, you know, you think that they never could make a mistake, but as you get into high school and college and you start looking back and you start thinking, they shouldn't have done it that way. That, that was not the right way to handle that. What they'd said was wrong. What they did was wrong, whatever, you know. Um, as they get older, they realize that you're not perfect. And if you've not apologized to them when you did have something um, or said something you should not have said or done, then when they're older and they know you're making mistakes, they're going to see you as a hypocrite. Um, Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Don't be afraid to admit a mistake. Everybody already knows you made a mistake anyway. You know, take some humility uh, to admit it and say, I'm sorry. Here's the last thing, and don't take this the wrong way. You're going to understand what I mean in a second, but share your feelings. It's not sit around in a group and say, you know, hi, I'm such and such, and I'm from whatever, you know. Uh, share your feelings. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 3. I referenced this first already, but when I say share your feelings, if your children say or do something that you don't approve of, let them know. Let them know how you feel about it. Um, Proverbs 3, verse 12, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. That means if our children need to be corrected and we're not correcting them, then we're doing them a disservice. We're not doing what we should be doing in correcting them and disciplining them. God does that with us, and he uses the example of the same way that a father would correct his child, right? We cannot be afraid to correct our children. A lot of children go off and, and you know, just, just lose their way, go off into the world because their parents are too afraid to, to tell them flat out that they were wrong. Uh, and I don't understand that. I don't know how a parent cannot tell your children, you know, don't do that or you're wrong or whatever else. They, it, it all goes back to the, you know, we want to be buddies, not father, you know, I want to be your friend, not your mother. But it's just as important that your children do something, um, if your children do something that's good and helpful, that you should let them know that too. Uh, turn over to John 11. I think a lot of that comes down to our, and, and fathers are more guilty of this than mothers, but I think a lot of it comes down to suppression of our emotions. We're afraid to share our emotions. Um, course, they have to be in check, but it's also important to note here in John chapter 11 that Jesus showed his emotions when it was necessary. Everybody could quote this verse because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. John eleven thirty five. what does it say? Jesus wept, right? He wept. And I always thought that was interesting because Jesus here is weeping over the death of Lazarus. He was close to Lazarus. He knew that in just a few minutes, he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why was he crying? What was he emotional about? 
Well, I'll tell you what he was emotional about. He saw Mary and Martha and saw how, how much it affected them, and he was moved with compassion on Mary and Martha. I think, I mean, the Bible doesn't say that, but why would Jesus be crying over the fact that Lazarus had died? Yes, Jesus was very close with Lazarus. He was, they were friends, and he cared about him and all of that stuff. But he knew that in just a few minutes, Lazarus was going to come walking out of that grave alive. He saw Mary and Martha. He saw Lazarus' friends and family crying and, and saw how it affected them, and it moved him at the same time. And he was not afraid to weep. It didn't say Jesus shed a tear. It said Jesus wept, right? There's a difference between, you know, a little tear rolling down your cheek and weeping. He wept. He was not afraid to share his emotions. And, and so often we have to play the hard man and not let any of our emotions out. Nothing wrong with not crying, but that often translates into not telling our children that we love them. It often translates into being too hard with them and never giving them praise. It, it often translates into, you know, not complimenting them on a job well done, not praising them when they deserve to be praised. When, by the way, we would look for the same thing for ourselves. Um, and then, you know, it, it translates into not encouraging good behavior. And all of those things are things that are going to be helpful for us in raising unselfish children. We have to remember that raising children for God's glory is a process. None of it's going to happen overnight. Um, it, it takes serious thought on our part to plan, to practice, to exercise uh, maturity, to bring to fruition all of these things that we're talking about. Um, and really setting, I mean, if it, if it takes you sitting down and writing down some things that you're going to say to your children, do it. But they need to have those things. Don't expect your children to naturally always think of others first or to know how to be empathetic toward other people who are suffering. It's a character virtue that you as a father and you as a mother have to teach your children. Uh, some people are born with more empathy than others, but nobody is born with that complete empathetic spirit that we should be having that's going to help our kids to grow up and be unselfish. And so I think the things that we've looked at tonight, heap praise, uh, give them responsibility, teach by example, say I'm sorry, and then share your feelings will help get them there. We want to raise kids that are unselfish because kids that are unselfish are going to have a heart for God, a heart for serving God. They're going to have a heart for others. They're going to have a desire to help others come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior because of that desire to help others. All of those things are important. And Oh, well, just teaching kids to be unselfish, yeah, that's nice, but that's something that's very practical. It is practical, but like everything else that we've talked about, it's also very spiritual too because the more we teach them that empathy, the more they're going to have a desire to serve others. The more they serve others, the more they're serving God in the same time. And the more they'll have that desire to live for God when they grow up. And so teaching our kids to be unselfish, raising unselfish kids is very important. Do we need to discipline them? Absolutely. Do we need to get on them when they're wrong? Absolutely. But I think the big mistake that we make is never praising them when they do what's right. Never praising them when they do what we want them to do. And then the other thing that we make a mistake is, is, is in is not modeling that ourselves. We want them to be unselfish, we better be unselfish. You know, we want them to do what we want them to do, and we better be doing the things we know we're supposed to be doing. And um, I think all of those things together um, will help us raise kids that are unselfish and that God can use for his service. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the responsibility that you've given to us in children. And in this church, and God, I pray that you would uh, help us as we try to raise them for you. 
that, that each one of the kids that, that is involved in this church would grow up and serve you with their lives, that they grow up and be unselfish and have a desire to win others to you because of that, a desire to serve you too. I pray that you be with us the rest of the week and bring us back here together on Sunday, and we'll thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.